Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started afraz is a serial entrepreneur and currently a startup mentor at antler while he gets ready to launch his next startup in the interview afraz highlights the critical 18 month window for early stage startups to demonstrate growth and attract investment he shares his personal journey as a startup founder addressing the highs and lows and the importance of managing energy and emotions we talk about how learning really happens and the value of emotional engagement and reflection for effective growth hi afras welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hey hi sumit thank you so much for inviting me onto this it's really I've been looking forward to this. I know we spoke maybe a couple of months ago and I really appreciate that you reached out and yeah, I hope I can add value to your base and for anyone who's listening in. Thank you for being there. Yeah, thank you for being here. And to begin with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what keeps you busy these days? Absolutely. So, I actually categorize myself as an empathetic problem solver and i'll tell you where i come from that so i've been in the startup ecosystems back home in india and now in the us since 2009 i got into the startup ecosystem by accident out of college this is when this startup community back home in bombay was really small but i had an opportunity to join an ecom platform where typically early stage company where I was brought in for business development but did a host of different other things and then got my hands dirty in pretty much every part of setting up a business going through the fact that company got acquired later on stuff like that and that gave me the itch to start up that that mm-hmm. taught me and then I kept that kept on getting reinforced through my career and the reason I say empathetic problem solver is at the end of the day I feel like my superpower my skill set is identifying problems naturally and then figuring out solutions to help address those and there's nothing more that gives me a thrill than building something that solves a purpose and looking back and saying that hey there was a 
tiny difference that I could try to have made. And yeah, so that's what I do. Thank you for sharing that. And can you share a bit more on like from your startups, from your experience, how have you changed as a person, as a leader? How have those shifts impacted your own growth? It's been like, I guess, any other person in the startup ecosystem, you've got to go through all the ups mm -hmm. and downs, the emotional swings of, of success. I've been founder multiple times over. The last time over was a company called Radily, which... This was actually started off through the pandemic where not very dissimilar to right now. A lot of people were, a lot of people in across different industries, but tech specifically also was, I was noticing were using the pandemic as an opportunity to reassess their lives and figure out ways to transition from one career to another and building impact and purpose and into their journeys. And the question that I asked myself was, this process seems to be rather lonely for a mid-career professional. And is there a way that I can build a platform to help people connect people who are in the similar space, people who have already made similar transitions and actually help people manage these transitions from one career to another. So that, that was what Radha Leap is about. Very impactful. I would say the most meaningful work that I've done in my life helped about close to 2000 people transition from one career to another. But yeah, so that was, it's, there were a lot of positives from that journey, but the negative was, yeah, that I could not figure out a way of making that 2000 million people and unfortunately had to pull the plug. So experience the pain of figuring out the right time to close that down so that it unlocks the next, open up the next door yeah. of opportunity. Other than that, I have, before that, I have helped a retail tech company out of India called Love Local actually pivot their business from being a loyalty program to a hyper-local marketplace and a B2B SaaS company to take mom and pop stores online, essentially allowing them to compete against big box retail and e-com. Again, meaningful, impactful work. I mean, we, through my time over there, we helped this company manage this pivot. We've helped them. I've helped them raise capital. Right now, they've, I mean, we've raised about 30 million and right now, the company's doing super well. So seen the highs and the lows and been through all the pain points, specifically mm -hmm. at the zero to one early stage concept validation. And just circling back to today, so where I am at the moment is I spend a lot of my time, now looking back at this, I've, since I've done this for over 15 years, I feel like I can, I can relate to any early stage problem since I've done this multiple times over as a product leader, as an entrepreneur. And currently what I do is I work with other startup founders from the Antler network, from the Techstars network and from Slidebeam. And yeah, so I work with them in trying and understanding what are their current challenges that they're working on and figuring, helping them create actionable frameworks to address some of those things. And in your work as an advisor, can you share what are maybe two or three common patterns that you see in that startup founders struggle with? And what are those like frameworks or solutions that you have figured out for them? I can definitely speak about that because even through 2022 till recently, I was working with Slidebean as the head of product, which was an interesting opportunity for me because we were moving, pivoting that brand from being pitch tech builder to being a digital accelerator for startups. We worked with over 40,000 startups across the globe, across different nations. Some of the things that we noticed in the data over there, which would be probably interesting 
So fortunately, unfortunately, early stage startups tend to go bust in month 18 to 24. And this is reflective in subscription rates, in, in all that sort of stuff. I think that's one of the things that I think anyone early trying to build something, trying to raise capital, trying to go through that process, I think having this number in mind saying that at the beginning, you're going to be working with an 18 month window to show a sign of growth and impact or to show a sign that you're on to building something which would be investable or sustainable is I think mission one for any startup. It's much harder right now that the, obviously the companies that I work with, the startups that I work with right now, I, it's a really hard time, especially if they've been building, let's say the recession and in the last few months, obviously things that I notice right now is that there's a lot of, which is pretty much what everyone is aware of, but generative AI is, and AI in general is getting about, I believe in the last Techstars New York batch was about 45% of the batch for AI startups, which one of the things that a lot of companies that I'm working with are thinking about is, especially if they're not AI, AI companies, their question is, do they pivot, do they force fit AI into their story just to raise capital as of right now? And there are interesting challenges because I guess you have to be strategic on raising capital, but at the same time, not losing focus on what's the core problem that you're trying to solve and what's the most efficient way of solving that problem. I think that's the key. So I think those two us, and then other than that, there are a bunch of other common challenges that a lot of startup fa startups face, mm -hmm. spending a lot of time on the original idea that you had when you had started it off, realizing, not realizing quick enough that maybe it's not that the idea that you had started off with may have, may not be your route to scale, being open to pivoting quickly, being open to experimentation. Everyone knows experimentation and everyone hears of this, but actually implementing that and being really disciplined to spend two to three weeks on each experiment, find your learnings, pivot from there, leave. I think one, another very important thing when you experiment is actually killing some of the older experiments. So I'll, it's something which I've seen myself as I work with startups and I've seen with other startups is you inherent smaller experiments and then essentially your product is very bloated, but it's not really solving the problem since you can't really maintain the product. Yeah, there's, there's like a bunch of these common cycles of things which I noticed that people do and can, a lot of this is templatizable, interestingly. Yeah. And coming back to you, what is the biggest challenge or pain point that you are solving right now? So the beautiful thing about the movement in the AI space is that it, again, it's like a platform generational shift in my opinion, which has a lot of opportunity across different domain things. So uh, as of right now, I am more like experimenting with generative AI across different problems that I would see myself solving over the next few years. So um, say, for example, some of the things that, are, that mean a lot to me is always, I love the concept of, let's say, aiding memory and aiding recollection. And there's a lot of interesting things that AI can do in that space. There are a, a number of startups that are working on that problem, but that's something that I'm exploring at the moment. There's, let's say, let's say solving for aiding memory through multiple learning styles. 
there are apparently eight learning styles and can AI help people aid recollection, memory and the learning? I just feel that the amount of content that we consume, I'm a heavy podcast listener. I, I listen to audiobooks. I read articles. I, there's so much of valuable content, but how much of that do we actually recollect? I would imagine about five to 10%. And then how much do we recollect one year down the line when you're actually, you need to utilize that, that piece of knowledge. And I feel that's a beautiful space to try and work something. So that's one of the big areas that I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned about loneliness and the highs and the lows. Can mm -hmm. you share about how has that journey for you as a serial entrepreneur been over the years and how is it different now? One of my biggest things, which I did not expect when I was, when I started up at Rudley was earlier on at the beginning part of the, the first couple of months, the amount of support and the amount of people who I was not even connected with, which came out of the woodwork, the problem resonated with, and you have, you, it's beautiful to, and I'm so blessed to have so many people reach out to me, help me through the early phases. Like I had someone who I had never connected with from Reuters. I was sitting out of India and she was out of Reuters. I think it was any, but sitting out of Reuters, she's Reuters Accelerator Network, and she reached out to me and she was literally guiding me at five o'clock in the morning her time. She would wake up to every couple of weeks to help me through the process. And I was like, it was astonishing for me to realize that someone would be doing this for someone they have no connection to and stuff like that. So that was beautiful. That's the positive side. The negative side is in a few months, let's say once you're 12 months in, once you're deep into the trenches, once the novelty period of putting out stuff on social media wears off. Once you started putting out things and maybe you haven't seen the type of spark that you were, that you were hoping for that point of time, managing your, it, then it becomes really lonely when you have your core support system around you, which I'm blessed to have a partner who's always there to help me through these journeys. But I think those phases when it, when you're deep in the trenches, when, when things are not working out. I think those moments are really hard. I think someone said this really beautifully recently, but yeah, not letting your highs be too high and not letting your lows be too low. I think is super easier said than done, but super important to try and manage that, manage your energy. I think that's a very big thing as well, especially like if you're not probably in your early twenties and uh, which I'm not. <laughs> so. It becomes very important to, again, manage energy, manage your emotional bandwidth, manage your highs and lows so that you keep moving forward and looking for the little wins. I think those are all the things that really help. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share a little bit more specific on how have you handled that? Like, how have you found support and what have you learned along the way? Absolutely. Actually, there's something I'd love to talk about. One of the things that this is what's helping me. And I put out something, it's not only for necessarily for founders, it could be for anyone, but everyone says, look for the little wins, right? Sometimes identifying when your mind is serving you a negative context, even finding those little wins are really hard. And, and then you have obviously negative thoughts that percolate up. And once these negative thoughts come out, it's Divide, separating what is fact and what is fiction becomes really hard. 
because your mind tends to call, create stories, right? And you don't know if that's those stories are based in fiction or fact. And uh, one thing that helps me a lot, and I put this out, and anyone can just actually go onto my website and see this is and have access to it. Is I created a framework on Miro called the Lifeboard. That essentially what I've done is it just simplifies. It does two, three things. One is just reminds you of what your goals were. So it helps you pin down what you're working towards, what's important to you, your value systems, all of that. And then what I've done is just mapped out on a chart on the ups and downs of your career or whatever. You can change, you can add it to your personal life as well and stuff like that. But it's beautiful. The way I use it is a way to look back and remind myself of my wins and remind myself like, so as soon as you realize that there's negative chatter that's starting to percolate, I go back to that and just look through that and remind myself, okay, I have confidence in my abilities. I've done it multiple times in the past. I've helped. Mm. I've been at exactly at this phase. I mean, it helps just declutter the mind. It helps build confidence again. And I think the most important thing is keeping moving forward. And that just helps you declutter and then stick the next steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And over the years, what have you discovered are your top one or two unique strengths? I would say my leadership style unlocks and it's like working at early st earlier stage startups. It's not, I don't even believe that there's much of a hierarchy, even if you're mm -hmm. head of product or you're a founder at the end of the day, it's a small team. It's mostly a big vertical team, sorry, a horizontal team. So everyone's, but I think a couple of things which I've seen that really work in my favor and I've heard is I truly believe that leading by example is my general way of operating which just unlocks people's efficiency across the board because they see you putting in the hard yards, they will mm. follow. So that's, I think, getting a team to really bond together on a mission, getting them to really take ownership and responsibility in what they're doing. And I think these are facets of my leadership style, which come naturally to me, which I think separate me from a lot of other people. I think that's one big one. I would say second is just having a team, having the ability to balance the short term with the long term. I, again, that's something which is really hard to do, especially when you're operating where like maybe, especially it's when it's survival mode, like so many startups would be at this point of time where it's hard mm -hmm. to raise capital. It's super important to keep an eye on the two year, three year down the road strategy and how some of the action steps that you're taking right now impact that. So I think that's another skill set that I have, I wouldn't say I had from the beginning, probably over time in my leadership roles, I've able to hone where I can spend 80% of my time on executing actionables, operational, mm -hmm. this thing, but still that 20% of my brain still works certain, okay, how does this connect to what, where the long-term goal of the company is, the strategy, all of that. Yeah. And speaking of abilities, right? If you wake up tomorrow and you can have any ability, what new ability or skill would you like to be? The ability would be the ability to learn like a superhuman, if I would, because I feel like the skills evolve in every generation. The ability to learn quickly, I think is, is so key 
in today's generation. I feel like that's one thing that at least back home in India, when you go to school, you go to college, you go through all of these different education. No one teaches you how to learn. Everyone teaches you concepts. Everyone teaches you and how to learn and how that changes from one person to another is super fascinating, but no one teaches you along the way. And I feel like that's such a core skill to have, but yeah. So I would say yeah. that. Yeah. So how to learn itself, right? That's what you're saying. And if you can, if you have that broken down into a science, which is repeatable, you'll be able to stay relevant throughout your career, post your career, in retirement, be a lifetime learner, an actual growth mindset, yeah. etc. Yes. Be like that. That's yeah. game changing. Yeah. And just to share a little bit, one of my biggest yeah, learnings around learning has been that learning doesn't just happen intellectually. It mm -hmm. happens emotionally and it also happens physically in our bodies, right? And many times when we think of learning, we only think of either taking in information or like being smart or doing something like with our minds. But there is an emotional part of that, right? So it's if, even if you read 100 books about a topic, unless you start to do that and go through the highs and lows, only then you're, you're emotionally you will be able to learn it. It's so easy to say that I know about something, but to actually know that requires an emotional component. And I think which is totally missing from our like formal education yeah. education methods, right? And that has been my biggest learning to involve myself emotionally and yeah. rather than continuously thinking of like more intellectual knowledge, right? Which doesn't help beyond a certain point. That's super interesting, actually. I didn't think of it like that. Maybe after this, we can spend some more time on this. I'd love to learn more about your views on this. Yeah. And... yeah. But I'm curious, if you don't mind, could you break that down into what is your approach or your framework or your seek to, to aid learning? One is like practice in the situation that you are, you will be required to practice the skill, right? Not just practice in a, like a mock yeah, setting or like you're reading something about leadership or doing a case study or something like that, because that doesn't help beyond a certain level. So practice in the real level. And then also integrating it with the, a level of reflection, especially when things don't go well. So normally we do say that fail fast or get back up very quickly, but we, what we don't see is how to integrate those emotions. So if we feel, or if we fail, how do you integrate with the feeling of guilt? Yeah. You can say learn, but if you're feeling guilty, the learning will not, the guilt will not allow you to actually make good use of the learning. Or if you're feeling anger or frustration or temper, then you can, you can simply learn to just avoid it or suppress it. But somewhere you have, you will also have to learn to listen to it, to address it. Because if you're not in an emotional calm state, any learning or any activity, your output will be lesser than optimal. So there are particular emotions which are like good for leadership and the stress is not one of them. I think it's a, it's a big, the board. big uh, like paradox that most leaders are stressed while that is not the most effective way to, to lead or to learn. And then how, and we are not even talking about the emotional element, right? Any leader would get more effective if we simply work on the emotional skills. And I'm not just talking about emotional intelligence. Because I think the way emotional intelligence is presented today is still very intellectual. It's, we are not really being okay with our tears, with our guilt, with our frustrations. 
uh, and we're just trying to understand it uh, like by reading a book or by reading an article. So that has been my biggest like learning and how I also try to integrate when these difficult emotions come up. That's so beautiful. And yeah, and it's so interesting because like, obviously I have been in therapy for a long while. So I work with my therapist on a lot of these things. And it's just like, you notice sometimes, obviously you don't notice it at that point of time, but then working with a professional helps you identify what are those blocks in your saying those emotional blocks, which you don't even realize that were there. Or you don't realize that, and there is so much of guilt for sure. And there's so much of, yeah, there's so many of these emotions. Which, uh, so yeah, I think it's so, it's so true. I would like to add though, I'm curious. I personally believe, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong in this at all, but I personally believe that limited amount of stress, not consistent, con constant stress is never a good thing. But I think a limited amount of stress does two things. One keeps you motivated and keeps you moving forward also so there's i mean there's that element to it and secondly i feel like stress heightens your senses in the short run sometimes when you are in a i would assume as hum, humans as humanity goes this must have been when if physiologically speaking as hunter gatherers as it's a survival mm -hmm. technique which is why your body gives out stress and which is why and if you would equate the start a startup founder experience to a hunter gatherer when in, let's say you're sitting in is sitting giving a pitch to a pc and you have to really make it count at that point of time i see a limited amount of stress at that point of time is actually good because it probably ensures that you are performing at your optimal at that point of time if you can control it and if you can harness it but yeah that's my personal opinion but i feel like obviously Stress consistently over a span of time is never healthy, obviously. And if you don't harness it, then it's it can be crippling. <laughs> Absolutely. I think any learning or any growth will have those difficult moments. And that is natural, right? So anything which is natural is okay or good or healthy, you can call it. But anything which is unnatural, right? So many times mm -hmm. we create stress from our stories rather than real, right? So leave alone, sustaining it for a long period of time. Obviously, that is very harmful, not just to health, but also to productivity and impact. But even beyond that, right? Even even if your company is failing, even if like you are, you're doing a very bad job at what you're doing, unless your physical survival is at risk, right? There is no need for the body to be stressful. Yeah. And the hunter-gatherer example, I think it's a good example, but a bad analogy because the hunter-gatherer, if they are failing at what they're doing, their physical survival is at risk. So the body goes, in, goes into overdrive and that is what you need at that point, right? You need that adrenaline to hunt for food or to make sure you survive. But even if you're a founder, in fact, the same yeah. trigger can actually stop you from innovative thinking, can stop you from empathizing with others. So you, you need a calm state to actually think about a problem. Unless, unless you are being chased by a tiger or you like, you're physically <laughs> in danger, yes, then you need that stress as a healthy mechanism but unless your physical like survival is threatened uh, and especially when we talk about knowledge work or innovation work we are more creativity of, cannot. Uh, yeah we creativity cannot happen in a state of uh, stress absolutely absolutely yeah. that's super true for sure yes but yeah that's really interesting <laughs> yes and again right to to wrap this up after like this journey for you what is it that you feel the most grateful for 
my opportunity at a really young age to work with founders, work alongside really mission-driven, impact-driven people. I've always had this thing that, hey, should I be working for a larger company? Be go for more? Should I be looking at stability and stuff which comes with working in a corporate setup and stuff like that? But I don't feel like if I took those decisions, my experience would be even close to as diverse. Mm. Worked through so many stories and so many different examples of different places, working with people who are so driven and working very closely with founders of unicorn companies so closely, working with them and trying to overcome, see their mindset, work so closely that I can understand and maybe take a piece of what they do right and maybe identify what I could do differently. I think that is something I'm really grateful for because I've been so close to them and had so much access to them at such an early point of my career. And I think, yeah, that's something which has shaped me over 15 years for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And for anybody who might be listening and who might want to reach out to you, find out more about you, what is the best way for them to do? Yeah, anyone can just go to my personal, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Afraz Masters, my name, it will be probably the first one that pops up and or afrazmasters.com, which you can, the life board that I talked about is accessible to anyone from there. So you can go to it. My advisory services, if you're a founder trying to go through, if you have any stuck in any of the challenges from concept validation to raising capital to any of these things that can help you work through those spaces. And I have my calendar to do like a intro call and stuff like that over there. So just block a time and we can have a chat, but that's pretty much that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey, Afraz, and everything that you shared. I will include those links with the show notes so that people can find you. And as we end, I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you so much, Samantha. This is, it's been really interesting and engaging and didn't expect us to go into areas of learning styles and how to learn and stress and stuff like that. So super interesting. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.